And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. Good evening, Dungeoneers. This is your October episode of This Old Dungeon, and we are in full force tonight. I'm Lou Alu. Howdy, this is Edwin here. And I oh, what do you know? <laughs> purposely started it while Bill walked away. So, uh, so there you go, Bill. You missed another one. Uh, <laughs> October, we are, we are. Oh, here he is. Here he is. I'm back. <laughs> He's back, baby. <laughs> Bill Bars. Uh, hey, welcome back, everyone. Welcome to me being back. I'm ready. So, all right. Well, what's going on in gaming, guys? Oh, now we talk about that. What do you do? Are you, oh, you want me on it? All right. Yes. Uh, okay. Let's Start see what's going positive. on here. I uh, finished running our Skype with Cthulhu group through uh, Paul Fricka's and some fell on stony ground, which was a hoot and a half. We had a really good time. Uh, I think it was ended up being six, six, two hour sessions. And uh Many of the characters survived, um, and it was—it's sort of an interesting scenario. It starts with a investigation and figuring out, you know, sort of what's going on. And they did that, and they were mildly, moderately successful, although they got in some pretty bad scrapes. And then there's this sort of twenty-four-hour survival horror portion of it, which is a complete switch of style i think for both running and playing and it was i'd run it before and it, it yeah. um and so i'm still sort of thinking a little bit on transitioning in games when you have a you know you sort of go from one genre to another inside the same scenario or the same campaign and how how you want to telegraph that or how to have the players figure it out on their own and switch, you know, stereotypes and switch expectations. Um, so that, that's been something that I've been thinking about a little bit because of the game. I don't know if either of you two have thoughts on, on that, you know, you sort of go from the dinner at the prince's thing to a big combat thing or what, you know, whatever, just mm -hmm. changing it up in terms of, yeah, like, you know, it's a fairy tale it at one point. It seems like most of the games that I've experienced that do that sort of thing have that, like, hard stop. Like, like the one I'm thinking of, um, Arena of Thiatis, is an old basic Dungeons & Dragons game where uh, it starts off with all this revelry and stuff at the at the, the King's Manor, and um, you, you, you get drunk and you have all these, you know, conversations with, like, political intrigue and all this stuff. And they've they've dosed the wine. Everybody gets knocked out. You wake up in these cells in the gladiator pits, and uh, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's like build in hard stop. This you know begin. Gotcha. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it seems to me like in the scenario you're describing, I can see it being more powerful for the survival thing to kind of creep into the minds of the characters. You know, to, to be yeah. suddenly realizing, wait a minute, you know, we, we got nowhere to go, and in all this stuff to hold back until you know they come to save us or until this event happens it's like yeah it's like you sort of go from being the the protagonist the instigators the investigators even though stuff was happening to them at some point but to to being really the 
well, can we just hide out in a closet for 12 hours? <laughs> like, yes, you can. If you make your role successfully, you know, that, that that is a, that's actually an option given in the scenario is, yep, you can hide out for the next 12 hours and that's all good. <laughs> that's all you need to do is survive. But several of them still wanted to, well, like it was interesting because, you know, it was, it was fun because several of them still wanted to rescue family members. Like, so there were enough hooks in them that it wasn't all of them that could just turtle up. Um, so, and this sort of debate there too, that was fun. There were two factors that we'd been talking about, about this particular campaign. One, one, I think when you first were mentioning it, you talked about how in this campaign, there are things that have a, a timeline that's, that's naturally progressing as the game goes on and whether or not that really worked well with, you know, what the players were doing, that, that it seemed like some things would, would hit when they shouldn't or uh, maybe wouldn't yeah. hit when they should. Right. Do you still feel that way? Or what are you thinking on that? I I used the timeline events, but I did not use the timeline because I didn't feel like the timeline worked with the, yeah, I think we were sort of talking about the sort of accelerated schedule that most players put their characters through, mm -hmm. right? You know, that this scenario is sort of, written as if it takes place over four or five days or maybe a week and like all scenarios ever it took 24 hours you know <laughs> like, we're not gonna sleep we're just going and um and that was fine but it did mean that i you know that i pulled stuff out i mean some things didn't happen because they work so quickly and that was good um but other things i the things that were more random i guess that had to have or that are listed as possibly happen i made them happen a little bit quicker whereas the things that were well these guys are going to figure out that this is happening and therefore they're going to do this um so i think they got out of things a little bit more lightly than they would have if they'd been slower like so i didn't hmm. there was a little reward for their fast pace they don't know it of course but um huh. and then the other thing we had been talking about is um since you'd ran this before, you, you said that you felt like this time there was, it, it was a more animated adventure that, that the, yeah. the players were really bringing something to the table here. Did that follow through into the, the second half of it, the survival half of it? It did. And I think it paid off in the survival half because of the things like the arguments between the characters about whether they should hole up or whether they should go rescue their parents or whether they should try to leave town. And the fact that, you know, they started to do like one of the one of the characters who'd really wanted to hole up got talked into trying to escape town, and that did not go well. And so <laughs> we then quickly they were, regretted that. Huh? <laughs> quickly regretted. So then there was a lot of "I told you so's," and I feel like that kind of so I, yeah, that energy did did keep going and did inform their activities. And that you know, so the party split up again. I think I told you also that at one point, you know, the six play six characters and there were at one point five groups. <laughs> um, and I kind of, as the survival thing started, I got them all together um, with a little bit of uh, finagling, but then they split up again, <laughs> and there were groups going off and which was great. I mean, that definitely adds to the survival. So the tension, you ran, this, don't know where... this is the second time you run it, right? Second or third. Yeah. I think second, but it... <laughs> Different groups, I would. I'm yeah, 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 very, very. That was yeah, very different groups. So I'm fascinated by the like the, the the different way people play it. Like, were the groups like 
different age groups like or were they all similar kind of backgrounds the main difference is that one of the groups was well one of the groups was basically a bunch of gaming and bs people and one of the groups was skype of cthulhu so one of them is a group of people that have played together a lot and have played a lot of call of cthulhu together okay and the other was sort of a, a hodgepodge of people with a lot of fantasy gaming experience and a lot of diverse gaming experience, but not, but not uh, as a, a lot not of as overlapping. A, it, it, okay. And which one made, which one is this more recent one? This was the Skype of Cthulhu group. Okay. I, I was, I, I would have guessed that. Yeah. You described it. I was like, okay, now, now this kind of makes a little more sense to me. Yeah. It was a, so were, we were paying a little more attention to, well, I think it was more of understanding that, the the lethality you know sort of understanding what the game system itself encourages and discourages and sure. not necessarily making choices because of that but understanding that your choices were going to be affected by that right like if you're going to get in a gunfight in this game it's not going to go well and so <laughs> and understanding that you know once you're seriously injured well that's it like there's no coming back from that in, no, in 24 no hours. of healing uh, coming from yeah. yeah like they did go to the hospital and they got back you know two hit points out of their 12 <laughs> uh, you, know. <laughs> now, um, you know this is something i always forget about i mean skype of cthulhu i mean that's that's available to listen to right or oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's recorded and this i think these are just starting to get this particular storyline uh is just soon or is either out just starting to get out or soon to be out yeah nice yeah we've got six seven eight i don't know several many hundred uh episodes out there nice folks folks feel the need for some actual and the older ones you can really get to enjoy how bad skype was (laughs) six or seven years ago (laughs) Oh man, I'm so glad we changed platforms. This uh, using Zoom for this is so so much easier. <laughs> Bill, what are um, you? So that's. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, wait. oh, go ahead, go ahead. You might have more. You, you do. You do like five games a week. What else you got going on? Edward? I probably have more. Um, let's see. Stonehill is still going along. We. Uh, oh, so yeah. So I've now have. This is a dilemma we're having. So this is the. Um, Old School Essentials, Stonehell, Dungeon Delve. And both one of my characters... No, so one of my characters has hit uh, what we used to call name level. And one of that and that character, one of their henchmen or hirelings, whichever it is, is about to hit name level. Um, so I have a, a thief that is ninth level, um, which means I can start a, a thieves guild with a bunch of firsties. And I have a half orc who is, I think, seventh level. And when they hit eight, that's the maximum level that they can actually get to. And they are also able to start a thing. And we're trying for the life of us to figure out if there's any way to make that part of the game and make it interesting. Because because this is a, a game where, like, the 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 meta contract is you know we show up we go into the dungeon and then at the end of that session boom we're back in the village so we start one thing we started talking about was whether we could have a bunch of our characters basically start taking up residence in the upper 
levels of the dungeon, meaning the lower, meaning the the easier levels. Yeah. Uh, because it's a dungeon that repopulates, and so it has this whole thing where you know the kobolds come in and you know reclose all the doors and reset the traps, and you know the undead keep respawning. And uh, we have we haven't been in the first or second level for I don't know six months or whatever. You know, it's been a long time. We have no idea what's going on up there. <laughs> and so the thought of we one of the thoughts we had was maybe we could set up, you know, if all of our characters have a bunch of firsties, we could sort of set them up to go actually start taking over the dungeon and living in it and converting it into, you know, into our because one of the goals eventually, right, is we want to clean out the dungeon and then and then claim it. Now. Um, so but we're so but we're struggling with that of like what we can what we can do that's interesting with with this, you know, ninth level. <laughs> excitement <laughs> so do you know physically like how far down in the dungeon you are i know i mean we, yes. we started talking about this a long time ago when you guys were were doing the the beer cells in the upper dungeon there yep uh, yep so we're at we're in the sixth level um out of i believe 10 and we <clears throat> were we almost completely done the sixth level and we would have gone a little deeper i think by now but the uh, the GM has uh, let us know that he has not yet prepped the maps for the seventh level. <laughs> so, so we've made a sort of out of character decision to uh, to really polish off the sixth level <laughs> until he has some free time. <laughs> Sometimes a little meta gaming is important. Yeah, it, I think it's I, always I, important. You just talk about yeah. the name level as soon as you said name level or your character made name level. Name level, Edwin. My mind yep. immediately went to. Okay, how can you do something with that in the dungeon of Stone Owl? I just think yeah. that would be cool as hell. I just think there's got to be a way. I mean, there doesn't have to be a way, obviously, but that would just be cool. That would. I would be excited. That, I'm excited. Is fascinating. Excited to figure something out. Yeah. yeah so I, if any of you sounds, listeners have some good fun. ideas, uh, yeah, send us an email at uh, thisolddungeon at gmail.com. Am I making yeah, stuff up? Yeah. One, one right? D. It's not especially old a theme dungeon. With like it's a old dungeon. Field in there. Oh, I'm yeah. down. It's just great. Well, and especially because we actually wiped out a, uh, not in the dungeon, but in some cave system overlooking the dungeon complex, there was a a bunch of uh, bandits, I think, that we went in and we wiped out most of them. We rescued one of them who became a, a, uh, a love interest of one of the other characters and I think eventually became a lycanthrope. There was a lot of crazy <laughs> stuff going on. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Okay, well, I can't top any of that because I didn't do shit this month. Oh, man. But you're prepping for. I am prepping for Game Hall, and I'll be gaming this month. So that that is good. Um, I'll be actually gaming a lot. I'll be gaming at LongCon the month after that, and then I have something nice. in December. So, yeah, I will, uh, I'll, I'll be in. I'll be in. Uh, the only uh, gaming-related thing I did is I actually met up with a really old friend of mine that I have not seen in probably 25 years. He was one of the guys that uh, helped run uh, the conventions here in Michigan at NBG, the Wintercon Michigan. Oh, cool. Uh, he doesn't live that far from me. I mean, probably about 45 minute drive, but uh, kind of we chat on Facebook here and there. And I, but I, again, I haven't seen him in forever. And he was actually uh, selling off some of his old board games. He wasn't using it anymore. And I was like, I'm going to stop by and just check it out and, and talk. <laughs> yeah. And we just sat down on lawn chairs in the garage and talked for like two hours. It was <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Nice. Did you walk away with anything? Uh, Closest I got this month, so it's been that kind of month for me. I've been traveling a lot. Again, so. Did you uh, do you come home with some new games, some old I games? Did. Of, course, of course, I did. 
There were Excellent. board games to be bought. <laughs> he had a bunch of SPI stuff. He was like, I'm getting rid of these. I'm like, say no more. Done. No, you're not. <laughs> I don't even care. Whatever you want, done. I'll take them. Speak, nice. Speaking of, of people buying games, I forgot I should. So at Gamehole, I'm running um, Rasslam Asylum, which is something that we Frog God currently has up on Indiegogo. Nice. And it's our Halloween adventure, and it's friggin' awesome. Uh, this is Casey Christofferson's uh, creation, so it's a it's a just a whack a mole crazy. Literally, it's, it's a bunch of crazy clowns in an asylum adventure. <laughs> with really, we got some really good art for it, and uh, it's a really fun adventure with some nice uh, subtleties to it. Um, so, if any so, of you are interested, so you said in you're running it, that. Is that what you said? I did. So yeah, you're so going to be a game hole. I'm going to be a game hole. Bill's going to be a game hole. We're all going to yep. be a game hole. We're going to be a game hole. Yep. Yeah, I'm running that. And then the other thing I'm doing at game hole, other than sitting in the booth, is um, with Corey Welch doing the Crawl for the Cure on Saturday. We're doing um, it. That's going to be a madhouse. Yeah, he's really, going to just lend him the big map for uh for the so man, we're gonna do the, the big, yeah, the the twelve foot by twelve foot map of Teagle Manor. We'll have two or three groups at a time playing. Uh, we're gonna, it's all DCC Dungeon Crawl Classics, and I think he's got um, like a bunch of uh, dice towers and donated dice coming, and we've just it's yeah, I, I know that you've been asking exciting. a lot of a lot of small publishers, and uh, we've all been throwing in yep. some books and stuff. For, yeah, lots of prizes books. available. Um, and, and, and just the chaos that comes, cause it's one of the, it's the, it's a game where you can, so it's all raising money to help fight cancer help. I think it's American, I think cancer it's cancer Society research. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if it was like supporting cancer victims or if it's supporting cancer research, but maybe both. Um, but basically you can donate either as a player or as a spectator to affect the game. And those always lead to just super fun <laughs> craziness. The best kind of con game energy, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's awesome. Well, what about you, Lou? While we're so, pimping. Oh, I'll sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just asking Lou. So it's back to you. Uh, while we're pimping stuff, we do also have a game hole, a Halloween special module coming out. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a three in one. There's three adventures in one book. Whoa. Um, and this is not like what opposite of what Casey did from what you're describing this is more scooby-doo halloween style that fun, fun there's a little more that's you know that's kind of our shtick and yeah yeah yeah. Um, so just fun low-level dungeons and all three of them have got a big twist um nice, you know nice. when you pull the mask off the bad guy or <laughs> it's, not, it's not that easy but it's it's, it's, like it's kids. fun meddling like kids. Mean, uh... yeah it's exactly like that it's just uh three fun adventures low level it's called the witch uh, grave and haunt and it's just basically one adventure involves a witch one adventure involves a graveyard and one adventure involves a haunted house nice so are you, like fun. you're still in that are you running the uh, demos I, that? Might, I might run a pickup game at game before we didn't schedule anything because i didn't know what our schedule is like i'm doing a seminar at some point at game hall that i gotta remember i'm doing with a list <laughs> uh yeah i think in skip williams um we're talking, I think, about new, you know, people who want to publish in the industry and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and then uh, I'm not sure what else I'm doing, but uh, uh, yeah. But it's it's anyway. It's a new release. We're oh, we're premiering it at Game Hole. Um, Sweet. Um, just fun stuff. We got it in B. We got it in Classic BX, and then Five uh, E. So cool. 
Lou, are you mostly um are you playing and running or are you mostly so, sitting booth? Uh, so I've I got a booth, uh, me and uh, well, we had him on the show a while back, Brian uh, Shutter, the guy that does um, the uh, Neon Lords of the Toxic Wasteland. <laughs> oh, fine. Yeah, oh, we're yeah. splitting fees and doing a booth and, and sharing a hotel and all that. So um, so running the booth, but we each have some games going opposite of each other throughout the con. So I've got a couple of my Darelot cool. Club games going and and a, uh, one of the demos, well, not demos, one of the test plays of a Mutant Crawl Classics game I'm still working on. So fun. Yeah. Awesome. But to, you'd ask me what I had done in gaming, and I sure um, am. so this. What are you been doing Sunday, in gaming? What are you doing in gaming, Lou? <laughs> well, so this last What's Sunday, ask? Uh, my my Ravenloft group couldn't do Ravenloft because the guy that was running it was on vacation, didn't have time to prep. So one of our other players uh, stepped up and ran. I don't know if you guys have heard of this game. It's kind of going around. Um, w H A P, uh, the weird heroes of public public access. Uh, so you play. Yeah. You play TV hosts on a public access station who in their off time are given these weird missions by the station manager who's very mysterious and nobody ever sees. They get like little notes and stuff. So it's sort of X-Files like. It's sort of, uh, oh, uh, oh, there was a novel that was uh, a young adult novel recently called, uh, what was it, Miss Perrigan's uh, Home for Wayward oh, oh. Children or Special Children or something like that. Yes. I don't know. It's got yeah. that just weird circus freak sort of vibe going on. Adam's um, family-ish kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh that, that was really fun. We didn't we didn't quite finish it, so we gotta find another off night to finish it out. But uh it was it was a really good game. It's uh one of these real super simple, slick role-playing games where it's is this like a PBTA or or uh no, it's uh, so it's a guy by the that, that goes by the name Joey Royale. Uh he's the one that put it together. And um it uh basically you have I think it's four or five stats. I can't remember which. And you have a certain number of dice in them. And you roll those dice. And if you get a five or six, it's a success. And if you don't, then it's a, you know, nothing. And if you get a one, it's a like a botch. And um, and then there's some little little tidbits you have because of what whatever you do on your show gives you some kind of superpower kind of stuff. Uh, so so I, I played, uh, what was my character's name? Um, I got it uh cordon uh cordon blue uh gourbet or something like that the sandwich king so he his show was all about making a good sandwich <laughs> and uh his his power was that he could taste things and uh it, uh it was called uh um uh pre-gustation where he could taste things and he could then uh like get a psychic vision of where that thing came from or somebody else that was associated with that thing like the person that you know, dropped it or dripped it or whatever. I was gonna say, I feel like that leads to a lot of gross role playing opportunities. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was fun, good stuff. Well, I licked the pavement. Who's who's, <laughs> yeah. been, who's been here recently? <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. So, what do you guys think about uh, some letters from the homeowners association? We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. Well, we have one right here from uh, John Williams. Thank you, John. That says, Welp, you asked for it. One thing I can <laughs> <Dude>. say. <laughs> we sure did twice. Well, I keep asking. One thing I can say is that fairy tales have influenced my idea of world building. Making kingdoms smaller, making kings bigger jerks, and throwing lots of random princes out there who are on quests from their dad. One fairy tale in particular that I remember involves a king who sends his sons out on a quest 
to find the tiniest dog possible. One of them does come back and wins the contest with a dog the size of a nut or something ridiculously small like that. And the king is so pleased that he orders all the other kings who were brought to him to be drowned in the sea. I forget what else may have happened, but that part really sticks out to me. I bet. Uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears gives us the trope of don't touch unattended things lest the owner come back. We have Brothers Grimm and the Blue Fairy Book, both of which contain some wonderfully weird stories. Many may not be good for adventures, but certainly make for interesting random encounters or world-building ideas. Thanks, John. Yeah. Um, I have to check out. I've never heard of the, the Blue Fairy Book. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. I think, yeah, we talked about Grimm and, and their, their nastiness. I do like the idea, like, I, I feel like this could pretty easily um like i like the idea of signaling that we're in a fairy tale this sort of comes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of switching genres or whatever but this idea of you know the okay so we're in a fantasy world the smallest dog whatever whatever but then the king suddenly ordering all the other dogs to be drowned like of just of that ability to turn things up to to 12 or 15 (laughs) or 28 or whatever and i think that really is a nice um a nice thing to be thinking about if you're running fairy tale lands, you know, making the the evil people evil in a fairy tale way. As mm-hmm. a, like, there's no there's no gain. The king is not getting anything out of even out of the contest at all. Like, we don't have to say it. He needs the smallest dog because he's going to use it in a spell concoction. No, he just <laughs> has this whim of like, I want the smallest dog, and then he has this whim of, oh, I'm going to kill all the other dogs. And I think that that kind of haphazard plot twisty thing is is one of the things i think about in fairy tales and folk tales in general is that they're they just don't all make sense yeah so and that's fun and i know we we referenced a couple things i mean i always kind of like doing that but so if you don't want to read all the old fairy tales which are, are they're very very cool but they're also sometimes hard to get through um you know modern takes on it in the media um there's plenty of stuff out there. There's a show called Grimm. I, th- yep. I think Netflix picked it up recently. Someone someone did. I, it's on one of the streaming channels. Um, I recommend that. It's got a lot of cool fairy tale-esque things, and especially if you want to put them in a modern environment mm-hmm. or, or update them for today. It does a lot of what you're talking about, Edwin. It's just kind of um, cool. You know, kind of normalcy, 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 freaking Ooh. weird fairy tale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think it does a really nice job with that. Um, and then I know, I've, and I'm sure I'm going to get an email from this. So we, we, we need them. Um, there's a show and I just watched my wife like a year and a half or two years ago. Uh, Once upon a time, I think Disney actually put it yeah. out. It ran for like six or seven seasons. The first, the last season sucks. Uh, flat out. Last season is just really bad. But um, the first, I mean, if you can get through the campiness and the, um, read it, rated genus of it for the most part. Uh, <laughs> rated G, yeah. <laughs> I know, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It, it's you know, it's actually pretty good. If you buy into it, you got to buy into it. It's one of those like you got to just give it up and say, okay, I, I'm not gonna. You're not watching even rated PG barely, but it's still adulty. It's very mm-hmm. super adult, um, but without sex, violence, and swearing for the most part. Okay, so. But it's also, it also has a lot of real cool takes on fairy tale. It's all fairy tale stuff. So it's cool. it's like basically all the fairy tale characters have got transported to this town in the modern world by the evil queen from Snow White. 
<laughs> and most of them don't, many of them don't even know who they are. Like that they are a fairy tale personality and you kind of discover them in different episodes and they figure that's out. That's actually are. a fun gaming concept. To it's a like... cool concept. It's actually, the whole concept of the show is actually really good and it's devious as hell. Like um, imagine being in a town. People can't come in, but you think they're yeah. just in this normal Boston fishing village. But like yeah. everyone, you kind of get to figure out who the characters are. Like you meet some accountant or whatever. And it's like, he kind of has like a, a weird quirk or does something. It's like, wait, that's Jiminy Cricket. You know, <laughs> that guy's, that guy's Geppetto. But they don't, they don't go by their names. They go by different names because they don't know who no, they are. That sounds like super fun. It's Holy super, cow. it is kind of cool. But like I said, now, mind you, it's campy and it's been. No, 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 I'm not talking it's about, I don't good. care about the TV show. The I'm saying it's that quite even if you watch it a little bit, it'll give you like you'll yeah, yeah, yeah. like oh I can use this for something. And it's very fairy tale. It's very because it's all backstory fairy tale stuff. Like Peter Pan's an asshole. I mean, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Um, we have another email here uh, from from Garen. Cool email oh, about what someone's actually doing with fairy tale, fairy tales. By the way, I I, I, know I got way off there. That was that was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Garen says, Ghost of Lion Castle is a fun one, but really deadly. I sat down to play it during the pandemic, and it took five runs to get through it alive. You are right about the ending being anticlimactic. I would like to send you fellows on a quest. Here goes. I have a room that leads to the treasure room of my dungeon. What would each of you place in it to protect my treasure? Look forward to some of the -the off-the-wall games you've talked about covering. Have a good one. So what are, how are we going to protect Garen's treasure? Uh, shoot, you know, I, I I had something really... F- oh, yeah, I was listening to Monster Man today. And... Uh, Hold on, I got to plug my ears. I'm, I'm not caught up yet. Oh, okay. No, it's fine. It's, <laughs> it, it was about... it's the uh, Yeah, so he's doing the Creatures of Alcadim. And uh, this was about a giant wasp. And, uh, and I was thinking of, I was starting, you know, so, and it says this giant wasp and it, it, whatever does waspy things. Um, but I was thinking about how fun it could be to have, I mean, I guess it's just insect swarms, but somehow having the buzzing that, that terrifying buzzing sound as you're approaching the treasure and, and then, and then the swarms are coming out and the, the, there's the, this, this particular wasp that is a, paralyzing one uh which of course is always always fun stuff um but i think i think i'm so right now i'm in an insect mood and i'm thinking about wasps to protect uh garen's treasure i'm gonna go uh trappy wise and go to like a contact poison yeah the coolest item like prominently sticking out and the first guy that touches it got to make it say make a save versus poison and then he fails it he like uses it to to attack the party yeah. just something just twit, put it on its head right just put it all on its head that's where i'm going i like that so, so i got the, this long complicated so the characters setup. themselves defend are, are guarding the treasure right so so lou hasn't so written the whole scenario the, the room leading up <laughs> to the dungeon or to the the treasure room uh make it like really narrow like five six feet and uh, make it really deep with water, like 15 foot deep with water and have like a, a little alcove, you know, a few feet off the, the surface of the water with a, a statue in it, holding like a, a wooden trident, something like that. Clay statue. 
nothing. They, they go through and doesn't do anything, whatever, whatever. They get into the treasure room and there's magic that as soon as they open the treasure chest, it animates that statue. It's a clay golem. When they come back through one, they've got the weight of the treasure that's sinking them down. So they might have to devise some sort of raft or something like that. And you, you want to make sure that you, you devoid the treasure room of anything that could float, of course. And then uh, the, the golem uses the wooden trident to just push people underwater and hold them there. And because it's narrow enough, it would be really hard for people to get past to try to attack it. But even if they do, you hide within that golem a central core made of pure sodium. So as soon as they crack him open and he falls in the water, the whole room burns on fire. Ta-da! If, you didn't put if, much uh, thought into this, did you, Edwin? If, if I can't have burn my treasure, nobody sorry. can. We're just going <laughs> to burn it all up. I can't believe we don't have like, uh, he doesn't have one of those flip boards behind him with the grids. He's got it all mapped out for us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, I feel like Garen's treasure is going to be well protected because I, I think, think it's, it's going to have all three of these we things. Got covered. I think, we, I, got I think covered. we can do them better, though. I think we can ask other listeners oh, absolutely, to, uh, to write in, how would you protect Garen's treasure? Okay, thisoldungeon yep. at gmail.com. Uh, hey, we're, we're like, most likely to get emails from all his players next month, so this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> <You bastard. laughs> all right. In record time, we have arrived at the main event. Yeah, excellent. That's a good thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, in the last episode off the air, uh, we threw out the question, you know, what can we do? It's going to be, you know, October, Halloween season. What's something we can cover that's not D&D, but has some thematic Halloween kind of thing. And through the magic of Google, I think, was it you, Edwin, that found this one? I think so. Yep. Yep, I think so. So so Edwin Ghouls up Halloween adventure, non-DD, whatever. I'm not real sure what the magic words were, but uh <laughs> lo and behold, White Wolf Loom of Fate comes to us here. Because yeah. the it comes from what what was the I forget now. What was the starting adventure that is the kind of it's the Halloween um so it's it, All Hallows it's the, Eve or something like that. All or? Hallows Eve, which is apparently in the in the rule book as a beginning adventure. And then they took that adventure and apparently changed it reasonably significantly and added a few follow on, uh, I'll call it chapters, but chapters to it to make. So it's now the first of a four part longer mini campaign. Yeah. yeah that's that's is, how they described it in, in this actual book. Yeah. And, and this is for uh, the, the white wolf game mage, the Ascension. For those yep. of you listening, so that's the one that which, deals with being like wizards and warlocks and things in the modern world. Okay, so which, we're going to do a quick show of hands of the three of us. How many of us have played Mage: The Ascension? So there I are no hands in the air. Wait, <laughs> wait, no, I, I, I think I might have played it huh? once. Uh, I better. Right, I'm going to have to awesome. check my my list though. But I feel like I actually did play a game of. Uh, I know I played some. So I definitely have played some no. New World of Darkness, but I think. I played a game, and it was must have been at a con or something like that. Um, yeah, let, let me let me get my my list open here. <laughs> That's kind of cute. He keeps a list of all the games he's ever played. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really it's, good idea. Yeah, I started yeah, it I relatively recently, and so it's not it's not super. Uh, uh, you know, it doesn't go back very. Far. Yeah, so I have World of Darkness, Mage: The Ascension. So I have played it at least once. All right, awesome. So we are experts. 
as a podcast. <laughs> so I, I got to admit to the listeners, like I have a chip on my shoulder or had a chip on my shoulder coming in because I, you know, I don't know what it was, but like White Wolf products hit at a time when like I was desperate to be playing Dungeons and Dragons. And it was like nobody was playing it anymore. Everybody's playing this White Wolf stuff. And I never really got into the whole, you know, golf ponytail eyeliner stuff going on at the time. Uh, so I've always been like, oh, you know, those LARPers, oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, well, you know, that was, I got a whole new appreciation having read through this book. But that was the, deserved or not, for a lot of us, that was the image of mm-hmm. Vampire, the Masquerade, and by guilt by association this game. Because that's exactly well, and, what our mindset was. And I'm I mean, sure for me, all of that wrong, stuff was was while I was not gaming. So for the most the, part, the me few too. bits I of was, yeah, yeah, World of Darkness and New World of Darkness that I've played have all oh, been yeah. in the last five or eight years. Um, so yeah, I, I I sort of missed learning about it, even as a stereotype, somehow until it was over, like completely over. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, and it, 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 I think I was pretty much fading out of the gaming as this stuff was coming in and it was kind of weird because now I think back on it probably my mindset then was gaming is transforming I'm too busy with real life to be involved with it and hardly anymore anyway and it's not it's going away from what I was used to seeing Uh so I just thought that was where gaming was going you know so Um, I I think in my life I also probably had a negative stereotype or negative you know, definitely a negative, negative perception. I think in my life, I had kind of the opposite experience where I was just coming out of that, you know, few years that I had kind of put gaming away. And, it, you know, it's like I come to the surface. And it's like, don't recognize anything. It's like, you know, doesn't anyone want to play D&D anymore? What's going on here? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, this particular module came out in uh, 1993. It's written by Chris Hind, who uh, some people might know because he's a, he's been a uh, uh, involved in uh, Xbox and Amazon gaming uh, projects. Um, artists, Jeff Wright, Joshua uh, Gabrielle, Tim Brooke. And then the cover uh, is like a sculpture. It reminded me of one of those, like, uh, what, what's that? Uh, I Spy, those books that kids, younger kids uh, get sometimes with all the, all the like found stuff put together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the cover's pretty fun. Oh. Yeah. You mentioned the Chris Hines name, right? So um, yeah. I thought one of the things that was actually fascinating about this to me was, and again, this speaks more to the, the time frame for me. Um, when I started going through the, I picked up the PDF of this, I started going through it. Um, somehow I, I landed on the credits page and all that. And I normally don't spend much time looking at that, but I, I did. I, I looked through all the names of people who are the play testers and they're, editors and designers and author and art. I mean, everyone involved in this book is on there and I don't know a single name. I'm not one name on there. I, I bet you do that. Possibly. Did you see I who the cartographer heard, like, was? Who? Brian Bloom. And I did research. Well, I saw that. Is Brian Bloom. Is it actually Brian Bloom? B. Brian Bloom. I was going to ask At the that. end of it's his gaming. <laughs> I saw I that. Know, That's the only um, name I saw. And I'm like, okay. Involvement, he was Brian a cartographer. Bloom. That's no. crazy. So yeah. okay. wow. there, there, there it is. But and that's an oddity, right? Yeah. That's that's super I, strange. I don't know if I got the name of that cover artist out, but uh, Henry Gordon Higginbotham. Uh, so, it, <laughs> and like I said, it's it, for those of you that you know, you'll see it online. But it's 
it's a kind of cool like sculpture piece of, of found objects to kind of make this spider in a web with different elements behind it that kind of are involved in the story. You yeah, know, it just really hits that uh, White Wolf aesthetic of, you know, oh, for sure. art. <laughs> it absolutely captures what they're all about. Well, it's the only... And by the way, I'm not making... When I, when I say I don't recognize any of the names on there, that's not a bad thing. It, it, it's more of a... That's, like, again, exciting. I was totally getting out of the hobby, I think, at that point. Um, just because life was too busy. Um, not as a conscious decision, but just that's how it went. But... Um, and whether I know everyone or not, is it, it's simply not true, obviously, but it struck me. It just struck me on that page. I'm like, I don't even wreck. I mean, not even. <laughs> well, I saw the I mean, Brian Bloom. A, like, not in Kansas. I'm glad you brought that up. Like, I was going to ask if that was, if anyone looked that up, if that was the same Brian Bloom. I mean, I, yeah. I felt like it, like it was a nice trip outside the neighborhood. Yeah. Like, obviously is. we're still in gaming land, but boy, is it, boy, does it feel different. I mean, I, mean, I feel like I play pretty for, diversely. Yes. It's a huge departure for me. A huge yeah. departure for me. And, uh, and again, I really had fun. Bad. It was, yes, it was fascinating to read through it. And uh, all fairness to our listeners, I did not read, I did not read the whole thing word for Ditto. word. I, I did, did a lot <laughs> of Lewis, Lewis taking the brunt as I, yeah, I, exactly, I absolutely, yeah. I'll be. But, know, but I'll confess, I, I, I didn't understand like every, I don't know, 20th word. Every 20th word was referencing something from the rule book that I, I since I've never played, I didn't really, I could imagine what it was probably talking right. about, but not really, you know. So this, this is, I think we talked a little bit about this in the kind of our pre-show is, um, and it's not a bias on my part, but I have a really hard time reading adventure modules where I don't know the rule set. Um, I mean, there's some systems I can read and I, I, I get it. But I'm kind of a stat junkie anyway, so I love reading stat blocks and figuring out how that creature or or participant works. Actually, works fundamentally in the in the adventure, not necessarily just as part in it, but how it how it functions as a whole. Um, I can't do that with this because I don't know this real system really at all. Uh, I have the idea of what it is all about, but that's not helpful reading mm -hmm. through this. So for me, it was definitely more of a, a narrative read. Um, but I felt stuff. I felt sort of um, I don't know if handicap's the right word, but on two levels because there's both the mechanic side of things, which I have a rough idea of, and I you know I know it's a, I think it's a bunch of d10s, and you you figure out how many you roll, and it tells you how many pools, hits you have pools? to get of a certain number or of a yeah dice pool, yes, or or successes or something, yeah, right, and and, 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 and so each each challenge, you know, some of the challenge is everything that's a three or higher counts as a success, some that seven or higher counts as a success, whatever, and then it's the so the number of successes affects how how cool a success it is and how much information you get, whatever, yes. uh, and that was all fine, but then there's this other aspect that is the the lore. Mm -hmm. piece which you know so i know like i know a little bit more about vampire i guess just from listening to actual plays and just hearing about it you know that there's all, each vampire type has its own own powers and its own sort of way of being and it sounds like mage is the same thing that there are mm -hmm. certain schools of magic or schools of mages and if so it often would say things like if if the may if the one of the characters mage is in the blank school then blah 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 and, you know, I could sort of follow it, but I didn't have that was the place where I sort of uh, fell out a little bit. Like, I didn't care, you know, when it said uh, you need two successes, difficulty three or whatever. Um, 
I understand that that's a thing and it doesn't matter that I know that that's a 10% chance of success or an 80% chance of success. I have sort of an idea of the relative, you know, some are easier, mm-hmm. some are harder, but, but that whole, like these different brands of mages, I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> it, I, yeah. it, it, for sure. I was having, you're definitely true. Edwin. I was having a really hard time following like um, what the, PCs really do <laughs> overall, right. <laughs> and, and kind of like what you know. I guess I understood the what the power sets are, and yeah, yeah. But you know, like, how does all this work together? I struggled with it. So um, real quick, like, like it is like a crazy amount of proper nouns that are in this book. Yes, like, almost every yeah. sentence feels like you're reading a title because like every third word is capitalized. You're like, what? Yep. Like, okay, so that's a particular thing. I get that. You know, there seem to be a tremendous amount of narrative description and exposition in here, and that might be normal for this. I I don't yeah. know, um, but there's a lot of it in there, and that's a to me that's a good and a bad thing. It's a bad thing because it just seems like it's it's heavy, but it's a it, you know it can be a good thing. Like if I were using this you know we this old dungeon this stuff all the time this book has a lot of material and i think you could pull for other things right and um that i didn't or ways of thinking about things that i i don't ways of thinking mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, and i'm not a i don't i'm not much into modern rpgs i'm I'm not i mean the closest i ever get is like top secret but when i play top secret i want to play 1980s top secret with the cold War <laughs> and all that going on i don't want to play modern day top secret so um well i feel like the author of this was actually exploring at least for themselves new ground because they were they were really talking you know so one of the things about this is that it's uh it's presented as a series of scenes and it's sort of a choose your own adventure in the sense that you read a scene and you know and it says at the end of this scene the characters might choose to do a b c or d if they do b go to scene eight if they do c go to scene 13 mm-hmm. and I thought that was sort of a fun and, but the author, I guess what I, yeah, it was the, for the author, it felt like this was something new that they felt like they were developing. Cause they talk, you know, early on, they're talking mm-hmm. about how, you know, uh, many adventures are linear and that's fine, but this one isn't. And here's some ways that you can run a nonlinear adventure. And what does it even mean to be a linear or nonlinear adventure? And, uh, how yeah, do we end? I think that was a cool yeah. time capsule of, of 1993, yeah. right? The, this exactly. idea that, oh, there's other ways we can run adventures that aren't pure sandboxes and that aren't pure railroads. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I thought, and I think it's also just wild that, that you know, and, and we'll, we'll kind of tee up the story here in a minute to give you an overview of what it's about, but, but a story that's about, you know, a spider kind of. It's about uh, fate has free basically will. A, a plot that's developed as a web that like if yeah. you're at this point, yeah. these points are tangent. If you're at that point, these points are tangent and, and these are the ways they might go. Um, well, yeah. And then that and then the fate free will thing of like, which is sort of the sandbox, like do do you have free will? Uh, there's a little prediction thing at the beginning and the spider sort of part of that. And then or, you know, is is everything faded, in which case it doesn't matter what the characters do. But of course, it does matter what the characters do and and that tension and the author sort of pulls out that tension and tries to get the the gm whatever they're called in this rule set to uh storyteller <laughs> storyteller is that yeah it's a to, to, storyteller uh, system I, i'm pretty sure it's a storyteller okay um uh, because i never saw the word storyteller in here but uh, maybe i'm uh, wrong 
they, they right tried to get, wrong. <laughs> they tried to get um, they tried to get the GM to sort of make sure the players as well as the players' characters get to see this tension and again give some advice on how to do that, which I thought was was kind of fun because I think that is sort of one of the the big tensions in role playing games in a meta sense, and it was fun to see it paralleled for the mm, characters. Part of the story, yeah. As part of the story, yeah. So uh, I'll jump in if nobody else wants to, but does anyone want to do a, a kind of like summary of, of what Mage is about and what this particular Loom of Fate storyline is? I am not going to do a good job. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, like, I'm going to step aside. So people will be happy not hearing me talk. <laughs> Go for it. All right. Okay. So I'm happy to happy to prop you up from time to time if, if you Just feel like you need please, it. Please jump in and, and add to or subtract from anything I'm saying here. But okay, so this is just my intuition here about Mage, things I've heard, things I, I gathered by reading this. So Mage the Ascension takes place in a modern world where people are wizards and warlocks and this sort of thing of, of varying different types uh, with, with different specialities in their magic. And uh, in this world, there's the real world that everybody uh, that they call sleepers, us normal people kind of experience. And then there's the magical world that the people that are, uh, you know, awoken to uh, experience. Um, the magical world is tangent to ours, but it's is not the same as ours. So like if you were to put on your little magic glasses, let's say that's not a thing in the game. I'm just pretending you put on your magic oh, yes. glasses, you can see the magic world. Right. And so things are kind of like they are in the real world, but they're, they're, they're morphed into their magical form and there's things that aren't there uh, in the real world that are there in the magical world, so on and so forth. Uh, a connects to B in the real world, but in, in the magic world, A connects to B and C, you know, and, and, and time and space has been up and all that jazz. So in this particular adventure, um, the deal is it takes place in San Francisco. And supposedly in San Francisco, there's this, I forget what they call it, but this, this node where... Um, Basically, the, the magic world and the energies that fuel it, the, the the wilderness, I think they call it, is trying to break free into the real world. And so there's break this, back in. Yeah. Yes. The, the in, technomancers yeah. have sort of locked it down. Yeah. And that's a, a type of wizard is these technomancers, these technology and stuff. Um, and they're kind of fighting for stability and, and staticness and trying to keep the world in order. Um, and there's this thing they've created or maybe they haven't created it, but they've helped it. Uh, this thing called a pattern spider that in the magic world, this giant spider thing that that weaves these threads and sews up the wound that that uh, the the wilderness is trying to blow through. Um, and this pattern spider spiders existed for a long time, and occasionally it fails at its job, and you have weird things happen: earthquakes, fires, crazy stuff. And, well, I thought uh, that was kind of a fun a fun piece that the the mundane expression of the magical explosion is the earthquakes. So if you're a wizard, lots of other stuff is probably going yeah. on. Monsters but if you're a sleeper, you just see this massive earthquake. And so it puts some of the timeline in and ties it to mm -hmm. a whole bunch of real earthquakes, which, you know, I, I, I like I play a lot in the quote unquote real world. And I, I enjoy it because it's so easy to make these sorts of tie tie ins and references and stuff. So that was that was fun. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it really helps the players kind of feel like, you know, I don't know, it gives them a sense of real beyond, you know, what a game normally gives them. But yeah, so the, the story goes uh, that these technomancers, 
Uh, they're trying to figure out what to do because this this spider thing is dying. It, it won't last forever. And once it dies, the the wilderness will break through and Game's all these over. Yeah. You know, it's like Ghostbusters, right? You know, uh, so <laughs> uh, so the there, there, you know, like like Edwin was saying, there's this big tie in and this idea of, you know, destiny, fate, whatever you want to call it and free will. Um, there's this girl who's uh, who the uh, the technomancers realize is basically the prime candidate to be sort of technologically slash magically transformed into one of these new pattern spiders that can they can hold the universe together or whatever. But she doesn't know it, and they're after her, and she's running around. Players get on the spot because they've received a card from a, a psychic telling them that they need to be at her parlor uh, at dusk on Halloween. And so they're kind of, they, they hopefully buy into that, curious about it, head there. There's some ideas if they don't. And um, they see this girl run across the road, and as she's run across the road, her natural magic exudement, I don't know, uh, is causing yeah. all this <laughs> chaos. Like a, a stoplights stop working, a car loses its brakes, and there's this chaos. Um, and pretty soon, things kind of add up to where the players realize that the Technomancers are after this little girl. And that she's not, I guess, teenage girl, I don't know. Um, and they've got to make a decision to you know to the protector right? or not or what you know well there's 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 another group that's trying to kill her because the they don't want to yeah. yeah there's the wild the, the marauders yeah. who are who are on the side of chaos as opposed to the side of authoritarianism or whatever i think i feel like this is a good example of having two bad guys yeah. two bad sides mm-hmm. um yeah, two extremes that neither of which are, are really palatable um, but yeah, so so the one group's trying to to kill her to keep her out of the hands of the technomancers, and the technomancers are trying to kidnap her and take her away to make her into a new spider. And that idea right there, I love that we as a as a GM and as an author as a whatever, we don't know which side the players are gonna come down on <laughs> uh, because they're both bad and you know, and obvious, I mean, presumably, I don't know, many groups are probably going to come down on the third side of keep the girl away from both uh, factions, <laughs> right? Rescue her, save her somehow, and then get the two factions. To, but then, of course, you risk uh, San Francisco getting destroyed. So I, 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 I like ahead. the two faction part two uh, or bad guy faction because it does play into the whole thing about if this happens, then go here because it gives you a lot yep. more opportunity for the if thens. Right. Yeah. And, and a, lot, a lot of wheels in motion. It does a it does a nice job of containing that because even I followed that line through the book, you know, through their, yep. uh, the the four there's four different adventure sections, right? Have I got that remember? Uh, yes. There's there's fourteen different like scenes. Scenes. Right. Well, I think three chapters. I think, maybe I think it's four. four I think it's four adventures, quote unquote. Four adventures that break it up but yeah but i honestly haven't read through it i don't really get the breaks uh, other than oh, no. maybe a, there's a certain time time shift between some of them but maybe a theme shift but... that could be yeah you know. uh yes no, i'm way down but uh, um, you know the, it, it's a weird book because it's, it's full of a lot of pros uh like, like bill was saying earlier um and the way it's organized i don't think that's useful at the table it's not like box text it's not like the the bulleted text of the OSE stuff where you can pull it quickly as you're describing your stuff. 
There's yeah, there's four make chapters, it... four chapters and a conclusion. Oh, okay. Breaks down. I but mean, there it does are... make it like interesting to read. It does kind of give you a, a sense of what the ambience is supposed to be as you're prepping for the game. I'm gonna jump well, out. There of are part. um there are bullet points of of uh of like what could happen. That, yeah. What what could happen yeah. and what the die rolls are that you know, if you know, basically saying that the the characters need to make this type of check, and if they do, and they get one success or five successes, or they botch or whatever, here's the outcomes. So but that I guess like, I'm just saying that, like for example, it'll it'll describe a scene with lots of you know just wonderful detail. It's true, but like you you look at like an OSC product, and they right. give you like the the pieces Horrible of the to read, scene, like but they give you, you the know, bullets. Yes, right. uh, screeching yeah, semi, spider webs. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, which well, I think you would have to helpful, right? Running it live, you would have to read it and ingest it pretty well, I think. Mm. And it feels like a game that has a lot more space in it for conversational improv. Yeah, right. Where there's just a lot of time spent dialoguing between the player characters and the NPCs, and so that you're <clears throat> you're not necessarily moving through space and having to come up with descriptions as frequently as you would in say a dungeon or a, you know, a general sort of fantasy game where you're, you know, you're first you're in the blacksmith shop and you got to describe that. And then they go to the tavern and you have to describe that. And, and all of that takes, you know, five minutes or whatever. Yeah. And it's all you, right. Whereas this, I feel like you could spend an hour in one of these scenes talking to or dealing with uh, whatever the, the thing in the scene is. And so I, I agree that it's, I feel like the pacing may be enough different that the, that the presentation structure may be less of a handicap than it feels like based on what we're used to for pacing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It, that, really that was, the, that, that was the hard part again about me not comprehending the, or having a background with the rules. I wasn't sure how these actually play out in gameplay um are they long are they short right uh, do, do you need it all do you not use it all so that that was a, for me a little confusing um but uh shoot i wanted to say something else too for a second but now I'm, i feel like there's a, a good parallel we can make between this game and the um day of the destroyer game because they're both these big you know overarching plots with you know the world at stake but like in the in the day of the destroyer, it would literally say, you know, these enemies have a fight in this park, you know. Whereas this game, <laughs> I like how it did, like kind of what you were saying, Edwin. They would have some bulleted points that say, hey, you want to have some action. There, there could be this kind of scene or that kind of scene. This bad guy might do this. This person might do that, you know. Uh, and gives you some of those, you know, cracker crumbs to lead you down if you're not. You know, you're not batting 100 percent that night as a game master to lead you down some interesting paths. Yep, yep. Uh, now I remember what I was going to say, um, and and this is a, a this is a me problem again. Just lots of bill problems today. I <laughs> I have the I got the PDF of this where normally I always have a physical copy of whatever it is we're reading. Oh yeah. I really struggle. I normally struggle with PDFs. I just don't like the reading PDFs that. I like having the book, just my old grognard self. But I really struggled with this because I wanted to keep going back and forth. And I'm just not good at probably doing any of this. But I struggled mm. with this presentation in PDF form to comprehend this whole thing. If I, I think if I would have had a book in front of me, 
it probably would have made it honestly for me it would have made it a lot easier um it, it would have hurt a lot less when it fell on your nose when you fell asleep <laughs> probably because that's why i did not read the whole thing it's so all when i go to bed tonight um yeah i'm gonna pop that pdf and start reading and have the computer fall on my head so <laughs> uh, but yeah it, it, that was just a me thing i think uh we talked about a little bit about the art and it's it i'm sure it fits the genre really well and the book presentation really well for me it's 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 way i it's way out of my comfort yeah. zone i guess which was cool i really appreciate that we picked this because i would never pick a book like this off the shelf and read it i just i wouldn't the whole d20 world and uh, the white wolf era is not my thing and never will be my thing, but it is interesting to see something like that and um, see how different it is presented. Cause it really is different. It, we, I mean, you mentioned the doctor story thing. These are worlds apart. I mean, these, the, the way Dr. Story is presented to me is, is archaic as it might be. It's a lot easier to digest in something like this. And, and again, that could be effective of, of the rule system. I'm, I'm just not that well versed in it, um, and honestly, never will be. So, well, and I, I was thinking it may be more the the culture of the game than the rules. Like the rule system, I don't think is anything. I mean, sure, whatever. I feel like it's the culture of the game as opposed to the rule system well, that's really the difference. I, I think there's both. I'm not a dice pool guy anyway, but um, I'm just saying I don't know the rule system just because I don't know it, and it right that made that made me struggle with the book. Um, that doesn't mean it's a bad system. It could be amazing. I don't know. It's but still, it's still. Roll, I'm sure it is. They sold a shit nice and them high. So, yeah, I mean, White Wolf sold a <laughs> <of> bucks. So <laughs> I'm sure it's good enough. Um, right. It's not, it's not nice thing, but, um, but there's a there's a lot in it. Again, I, I I'll try and stick with my this old grognarding it rather than delving into what's actually in the book. Yeah. I think there's a lot of use. There could be a lot of use for this. I mean, clearly they did the research um, in the San Francisco area. Um, and yeah, all I found that places. interesting. There were a couple of things I read, and I'm like, that can't be real. And then I looked at them, oh no, that's a real place. Oh it's no, it's the real deal, is. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, again, I'm I'm not a I'm I'm just kind of rolling through it right now. I am not a. I mean, this art's neat. I'm just not a fan of it. it the maps it are pretty is, good. It's like I one mean, of the, it, it's modern art, right? It's like it's. It, it, I look I at it, and I go, man, that looks childish. I don't, not my thing. But it's like the person who did that could have painted the Mona Lisa. They just chose not to. They chose to do it that right. style. Uh, There's some great maps in here. There's some very bad maps in here, but they're. <laughs> it's funny because they are kind of all over the place with yeah. the maps. Some of them clearly computer generated. Um. You know, obviously not AI, but oh my God, if if it came out today, you you would say it was. And then other maps are clearly hand drawn and are are really neat. Um, you know, the other thing I would say in here too is there's there's kind of a, I mean, you got to sort through it, but there are there are several really cool NPC kind of characters. Again, if you play a modern game that you could pull out of here, uh, they're interesting. You know, forget the role system; they're just. Uh, they do some nice stuff with it. Um, there, there, there are some cool NPCs you could pull out of here or personalities that you could use in your other game systems. I wouldn't know. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I when I thought about how I would use this book for anything else, I'm drawing a complete blank. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I would use this for, to be honest with you. That does, again, doesn't make it good or bad. It just makes it not in my wheelhouse at all. Um, 
but uh, I don't know. It, it was it was cool to go through it because honestly, I I've, I've avoided this for probably twenty five years. So um, <laughs> that, 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 that one held my feet to the fire, and and we we did it. And I'll tell you, this will be the last time we let it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so. Uh... One of the things that I remembered as I was reading this and thinking about like, you know, so it was published in 93. So it's probably being written in 92. I mean, that's before most people had the internet and before the internet really had everything Absolutely. on it. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. it reminded me of those early days of writing a game in a, in a foreign place where you would go to the library and get all the travel guides on the place and be yeah. like flipping through it for, you know, well, that must be what it's like over there. And, I just, it was just kind I of was, cool to think of how this must have come together for Chris, you know? I was actually wondering if it was a place that, that he'd visited or lived in, because um, it felt it felt kind of home. It felt you know, like, like that way, didn't it? I was just going to say, how much you want to bet that somebody, uh, they, they had they had firsthand experience. With yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Guess. I know that it, it looked like feel. he was an East Coaster, but that doesn't mean he'd never been there or whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't it know. It, it, it I, I enjoyed the home feeling. Like I definitely got the sense that this was somebody who knew San Francisco well. And I don't. I mean, I've been there, but I don't I don't know it. But it just had a lot of sort of cozy details somehow. Yeah. I agree well, with that. The, uh, something that I also really appreciated is it had this mix of like the expected and the unexpected. Like things you're like, yeah, yeah, that I would, you know, this game's gonna have something like that in it. And then you've got the mutated crocodiles in the sewers, you know, <laughs> like this thing yeah. that's just like such, you know, just just a, a total uh, whimsical kind of thing thrown in there. Um, the meeting with all the different um, mages that are on the side of wanting to kind of keep order and structure has so many different types of magicians with different types of, you know, personnel there with them. And, you know, you got the one lady who's cobbled together a computer that acts as a it's kind of like a, a medium between her and the, and the uh, magical world. And you got the, the, the guys with robots and you got the guys with like constructed, uh, you know, phantom bodyguards. And it's, it's kind of just wild, just a, an interesting collection of uh, encounters. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I was sort of coming back, Bill, to your, your thought of what I would do with this. And I feel like, I would try to run it um, because it seems like a hoot and a half. And I'm just trying to think about what I would do for a rule system or well, a, would you do call of Cthulhu? Cause I as reading it, I was kind of like, this sort of feels to me like a call of Cthulhu adventure, just needing some things changed to be within that, you know? Yeah. Cosmos. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I was thinking of it as a call of Cthulhu adventure where there are, basically two rival cults and the adventurers don't have any of the powers. Like I think the, the big difference, right. Is that in the game envisioned for this scenario, the rules envisioned for this scenario, the, the characters have a lot of magical powers and so they can do, they can teleport, they can, you know, and that's described in the rules. They can, uh, they have locate person or locate object, right. They can find things. And so I think there would have to be a lot of adapting for a group of characters that doesn't have any magic available to them that has having to use 
whatever police and you know just kind of getting out on hitting the pavement and so forth in order to follow up on clues and to get from a to b i think you need stronger connective tissue um but i love the 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 big picture story and i love the idea of of a bunch of effectively sleepers right a bunch of mundane investigators figuring out that there is this other san francisco that is this whole magical thing and that there's this giant spider that is right that's about to die and that there's this chaos this seeping chaos uh um so i i definitely yeah i definitely felt that there was some fun to be had there and i I think i can imagine as a good cfc game and then the and especially because it has that really i think sort of a call of cthulhu-esque uh lose lose moral decision making (laughs) Right. I mean, it's like you can help either side and it's bad or you can somehow do nothing and it's worse. And, <laughs> and that really fits the, you know, the whole the whole idea of the game, I think. What do you so, guys think about that climax? I mean, like as it reads, it seems like, oh, that'd be a cool climax. But as I'm thinking about it, like it would go down at a game table because because I mean, literally the climax seems to be. You're in a moment, you, 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 the, the, one of the main bad guys tells you, look, this is what we're doing and why we're doing it. And if we don't do it, this is going to happen. And you either try to convince the girl to become the spider thing or go, yeah, yeah, that's nice. And get her out of there. But, but to me, like that convincing her to be the spider thing, I don't think that would play out very dramatically. I don't know. The thing, the thing that I think I would want to add to this adventure would be a third path i think if i would like for the player characters to have the option to realize that they've got a a bad situation either way and to then investigate a a new another way of uh bringing about stability that does not involve all sacrificing a person external to them but probably because it's call of cthulhu involves them making some serious sacrifices mm-hmm. meaning they're going to have to perform some sort of a ritual which is going to sap their sanity sap their their well-being but that they are going to be they at least have the option of temporarily extending you know the status quo without letting this either evil group sort of take take uh take over so i agree with you yeah i think i think there's i i, I was feeling like there needed to be a a way to circumvent the problem as opposed to simply a or b yeah well even just the idea that it's it's a yes no question to the girl like you know are you going to do this right no okay well there you got it folks you know it's right it just something more and i don't know why but something more i guess third party I, solves it yeah i guess i'd be curious is is this how these adventures normally work or you'll never know. Yeah. You said I, you're not going to read another won't. one. So I mean, well, I'm, again, I'm, I am digging for emails. This, this podcast, episode. <laughs> any of our listeners out there who know, is this kind of a common theme with these white wolf modules? They, they kind of follow this, this, I, mean, uh, I think moral dilemmas are definitely a big part of white wolf stuff. I, I could sense that. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it would be, but I don't want to speak out of turn on it. Cause again, I just, I have no clue. Um, but I would hate that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, if I don't ever know, it's not going to kill me. 
<laughs> I, I, I like the idea of an ending that's not like you you you, you take the radiant sword and plunge it in the dragon's heart and it dies. I, I, you know, I like something that's more open ended, but I just I don't know how this one would resolve in a dramatically satisfying way. Other than maybe if they decided to protect the girl, and even then, you know, it has this kind of dud effect at the end where it, it says, "Well, you know, the spider dies, the wound rips open a little bit." And some stuff gets out, but it doesn't go all the way because there's right. this whole other thing. And if you read Werewolf the Apocalypse, you'll understand it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did That's feel right. they a little got a Werewolf game too. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, I do. I feel like if you're gonna set up a a campaign or a mini campaign as a the world is at stake kind of thing, and I can see why Werewolf doesn't do it, um, but that you should be prepared to destroy the world. <laughs> like you know one of the one of the things i like about call of cthulhu is that well that's not true one of the things i like about shorter i shorter scenarios or sh sort of one shoddy type things is that you can throw away the world when you're done everything's at stake on a, on a one shot right everything. yeah characters everything. Setting, yeah. everything's at stake whereas i feel like you know i feel like these guys and again i'm going from you know, very limited knowledge, but I feel like there was a, a lot of stake in maintaining the world and continuity, you know, because I remember when they came out with the new world, like, like they, they actually in, invest in the changes in, in the world as time goes on. And, and if they have this overlap between mage and werewolf and vampire, like there's all this, like they have sort of this living world type of and the whole meta story business model effectively. Right. <laughs> and, and so they yeah. can't, they cannot destroy the world. Uh, and that to me is, is a bummer because I, I like the, I don't like, I don't do it very often. I, in fact, I don't know that I've ever done it, but I like the, uh, I, there's been a few Call of Cthulhu games that I've run that have ended with just, you know, <laughs> God awakens, you know, Cthulhu awakens and it's, it's a, it's a done deal. But um but I feel like, yeah, if you're going to put it at stake, you should be ready to 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 light that firecracker and, and just let it go. Hey, I and I'm with you there. I'm 100% with you there. If, if you're going to set that up as an option, then it has to be a, a viable option, right? Yeah. A viable ending. And I didn't I didn't hate that about this because I did flip through and read to the end. And, um, I didn't hate that about it because I. I the way I kind of look at it is, okay, this is kind of what this game does, and this is where you go with it. And um, but that's something I would change. I would this old dungeon that for sure. I don't. I don't know. I I liked it in here. I would never use it. But yeah, it's um, yeah, I I would absolutely use this old dungeon that. Um, I as far as running this, I I it's just not again. We're we're out of we're out of Bill's um, limited vocabulary of, <laughs> of gaming here, so. It's not something I'm going to do, but it's, it's, it was, it was certainly an interesting read and um, I'm glad I got a chance to look through it. And, you know, if I find a, if I find a copy of this or some other white wolf adventure module for five bucks somewhere, and it's an actual book, I'll probably pick it up just because now I'm a little more intrigued, but I'm, you're not going to catch me running out and buying everything. You won't admit, you won't admit to it. <laughs> he, I probably wouldn't he, know. Probably he's white wolf he's curious. Got, he's I'd got these books with brown, brown uh, grocery bag wrappers <laughs> on a yeah. gaming shelf. <laughs> hey, Bill, what's that? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to send Ben to go buy it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
They send their uh, kids in to buy beer from the Seven Eleven. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't find much in the actual game that I thought. Oh, I would do it this way or that way. But and I think a lot of it's this whole this thing we're throwing around here, where it's it's so alien to me. I don't I don't feel capable of, of messing with it as is, you know. But um, but what I would do with it since I don't play Mage the Ascension, I think it makes a good story that could drop into. Uh, like uh, for DCC, there's a, a version of that called uh, Weird Frontiers, where it's like Cthulhu meets uh, the Old West. And Very I think you could drop sure. things down into, you know, the late 1800s and this would still play well. You know, oh, the Marauders in San Francisco being demons yeah, on go. bikes, they're they're demons on horses, you know, and yeah, stuff like that. I think it'd play really well for that. I think um, Shadowrun, I could see you, I mean, just, you know, substitute the magic for the, you know, the, the whole Decker thing, the, the techno world. And uh, I think you could play it in that. Um Superhero. I feel like I like do a good Ghost Riders riff using this. So if you were if you were shadow running this though, what do you think would it be? I feel like then maybe it's you work for the Technomancers and your job is to go get the girl, and then maybe you decide not to deliver, or maybe your job is to protect her from the Marauders until the Technomancers can pick her up. Like I feel because like, right shadow run the, the the big thing is you have a mission. And mission, yeah. so Mr. I, Johnson I think, gives you a job in yeah. in in that world i think you have the girl have some weird power where without any sort of deck or anything like that she can she can access the binary code of the you know whatever they call it nowadays for that um and then the technomancers there's there's something breaking down in the code of the of the, the uh, virtual world and the technomancers want to capture her to basically you know make her some sort of like vegetative cyborg that then continually rewrites the code to yeah. keep it fixed and you you start off trying to get her for them, but then these marauders, um, you know, try to kill her. intervene, and you realize you know that there's what their intention is, and the marauders, you know, offer you the alternative of trying to destroy the, you know, I don't know, but but yeah, it really doesn't seem too far afield. No, I agree. It kind seems of like a fun, of that a fun way to go on it. That's some good stuff. All right, are we done this old dungeoning this? I, I think, think so. Are. All right. So we did it, folks. We made it past the White, War, uh, White Wolf adventure here. We, we, we've got that in our that on our uh, badges or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Put it on the mantle. All right. And I, I so, enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed that. What I read of it, I really liked. It was I did, fun. too. I, I, I would be in the I column of, uh, you know, like Bill was saying, if, if I ran across another White Wolf product that was easily accessible to me and I had the time, I'd, I'd probably read it just to, to, you know, kind of get that sense again of, of how they – laid out the story not not necessarily how they edited it or presented it but how it was laid out i really enjoyed it. i think it was a, yeah. a neat way to put a module together yeah well so for for me i just it's like putting on my um you know i'm i'm a i'm a you guys know i'm a collector i collect a lot of old stuff and but i'm also kind of like i'm not a, i'm not, by no stretch of imagination a hist or a historian of gaming but i do like the history of it and this the white wolf products whether I like it or not, are definitely a large part of gaming history now. Mm -hmm. Whether you yeah. know, I was not, it was not my part of my world or, or what I did. But you know, to me, I'm a little intrigued by it that I probably want to know a little bit more, you know, about it. So that's why I think I would, I would say, okay, I would pick a book up or two and and kind of flip through and just see what it's all about a little bit more. Um, First you know, one's free <laughs> versus the D20 stuff. Like I'm not, not going to go into any of that. But um, right. I think it's yeah. it's it's certainly 
should be respected for what it was because it did have it it was extremely successful and did a lot um yeah. in its time frame for sure you know another expectation i had that it subverted when i first heard about mage i was like everybody plays wizards that you know man that would suck that would you know but <laughs> just from what i've gleaned from this it's presented a world of magic that's that's deep enough and differing enough um that, that now i'm kind of curious you know that, that there could be ways to run a game of, of all sorcerers or whatever where there's enough nuance in it that, that that could be fun and everybody could be different and and contribute to the adventure well yeah. i don't know how different again this is like my lack of knowledge i the i don't know how different all these mages actually are from each other right i mean I mean, if they're if I they're as different know. from each other as the vampires are from each other, then it's it's a reasonable right uh, it's enough, class it's system. It's enough variety to keep things fun, right? And, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, what I was kind of getting is like the, the they all can maybe to a degree access different powers that that kind of overlap, but you've got you know almost like your schools of magic where these guys they're really good at precognition, and these guys they're good at altering the real world, and these guys yeah. You know, yeah. but then in, invested in that is also that people that that devote themselves to that sort of magic have a sort of like World an alignment view. of what they're trying yeah. to do with it and in, in, in how they view the rest of the world and the other magicians, which I think lines up with vampire quite a bit also. Right. There's sort of a faction thing even amongst yeah. the, the, the playable uh, characters. But just the, some of the concepts of like they talk about stepping sideways, which I, I gathered to mean like. <laughs> You're here in the real world next to this, you know, bank vault or whatever, but you can, you know, cross your foot over into the the magic world and all of a sudden you're inside the vault or you're inside a location that's adjacent to it or whatever, um, which I thought was kind of cool. There's a bunch of other stuff like that. There was a, one area where it suggested having the magician play uh, like monster chess with the uh, with I think it was a marauder that they were up against where they each pull a creature out of the the ether that then has to battle you know like pokemon go kind of thing or whatever that is <laughs> you know i don't know just different stuff it's fun it's different yeah yeah well we All shouldn't right. put it off edwin i am afraid that we have delayed as i have stalled you as long as i can stall you hey hey you do you have any geek credit So uh, let's see. Last week we had John, and we had uh, the lo- not last week, last month we had John. Yep. We had the Lone DM. I felt like we had somebody else. Did I open up my two? notes and uh, and find out here? Yeah. Um, I thought we had three last. Yeah, I was thinking we did two. I thought we did two. So let's see was it? Oh, it was Jonathan. Jonathan. Jonathan wrote us about. Um, uh, the the fact that there was an artist that did a, a contest wasn't it wasn't that last time? So yeah, John Williams. We've got Dungeon, Banjo maybe? Destructo, and we've got Jonathan Sullivan. Okay, Banjo Destructo. Okay, wasn't Lone Wolf. Okay, so so John Williams, Banjo Destructo, Jonathan, Jonathan Sullivan. Sullivan, and then this week we had uh, was Garrett Garen. Garen and uh, John. So does John Williams? That's the question. Does John so Williams two get entries. two entries? Seems likely. Yeah, you know, hey, if he's going to write us twice, he gets he deserves something out of that. All right, so going down, we got John as number one. We've got Banjo as number two. Jonathan number three. 
Uh, John again is number four, and then Garen is number five. And um, Stefan Surratt, who's who does a lot of writing for MCC DCC, uh, I'm running a game of his for a charity thing later on in December, and he's sending me copies of it not only to give away for that, but he's also going to give away one of those adventures for this old dungeon. So that adventure is called the Technomancer of Candy Mountain. Oh, fits right in. On Willy Wonka, takes place in the MCC world there. So, well, according to this uh, die roll, John Williams is going to be the recipient of uh, the first John Williams, (laughs) not the second John Williams. Uh, So, last month's John Williams is going to be the recipient (laughs) of uh, Technomancer. What was it? Technomancer in Technomancer of Candy Mountain. It's it's a fun adventure. It's a little bit of Wizard of Oz, a little bit of uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. A nice. whole lot of like uh, dark humor and stuff. So, you, you, I think you'll like it, John. It'll hopefully inspire you on uh, some of your fairy tale uh, corresponding adventures and stuff. I think. All right, but he only gets it if, or maybe he gets it. Oh, if. Right. I don't know. We That's really right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could still lose this for which is likely. <laughs> All right, Edwin's in the hot seat. I know uh, this time around he threw a little new element into the his his cachet of things that we could ask him about which was engineering. Uh, we're going in the real world day job now. You know? I ignored all that, by the way. <laughs> good, 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 good. I ignore it too. <laughs> all right. Bring it on. All right. I got your first one D. here. We're, oh. we're going to meld D&D and engineering. In okay. D&D, you take a perpetual D6 damage die for every 10 feet you fall. Okay. With, with, with no upper limit on that. Um, in the real That's world, obviously, you have terminal velocity. So you get to a certain rate and, and you can't fall any faster. Yep. Now there's a lot of factors there, but on average, uh, how many D6s would be the most possible uh, that a person could incur when falling in D&D if it had real world terminal velocity physics? Here are your choices. Oh, okay, so you're basically asking me how many feet do you have to fall to hit terminal velocity? Yeah, at what point is that? Does it max okay, out? Yep, the, I hear you. I'm speed? with you. All right, what am I asking? How many feet? Till you till you reach terminal velocity, and then keep in mind every ten is a d six. So yep. there's a vision going on there. Yep, yep, yep. Would it would you max out at ten d six, a hundred and fifty d six, one thousand five hundred d six, or fifty four d six? So just to throw a wrench in your works there, in fifth edition you max out at twenty d six. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I'm not a five e player. So it's okay. just it's just a done there. Um, so I'm going to ignore B and C. What was A again? A was ten d six. Ten d six. So that's a hundred feet, and then five hundred and forty feet. Five hundred and forty feet sounds about right to me. I go with D. D. Uh, so fifty four d six. According to my reference materials. Um, the the number of feet that you have to fall on average, average person, you know, yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff, before you reach terminal velocity is 1,500 feet. Cool. At that point, the average person reaches terminal velocity. Okay. So that right. puts us at the 150 D6 range. Correct. And I said I 54, which is wrong. You said 54. So I was a which third. is okay, woefully, cool. it's still at 20 D, you're not even close, 5 E. Right. No, that person can die another couple hundred times. Well, you know, but my my memory though is that some people, upon rereading first edition, think that it's a d six plus two d six plus three d six plus four d six if you fall forty feet. Oh, interesting. Where it like which accumulates is way you know, the, more, the yeah, which is way more two. dice. Interesting. Yeah, I'd never heard uh, it that way. 
So, and I, no one's ever, well, I, somebody's played it that way, I'm sure. But all right, so I'm I'm zero and one. Yeah, well, that, that that was probably my hardest one. So I, I I came out fighting, man. I like that one though a lot, though. That's one I feel like I could have I could have gone for, but fifteen hundred feet. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, whatever. It's, yeah, it's, you it's, you it's, can chastise me in the next episode if you if you find uh, material that disembowels that. But I did never I did never. do some thorough research. Several several sites. Several Google them. pages. <laughs> yeah. All right, Bill. What do you got for me? He's still making his question. Answer that question because <laughs> I jumped for six years in the army. Um, <laughs> so uh, my my question was: so uh, Mage uh, the Ascension came out in what year? 1992, 1993, or 1994? Well, I'm gonna this. I this must be a trick question. Because otherwise it's too easy. Because we know that the adventure we just read came out in 93. And so either Mage the Ascension came out before the adventure, in which case there's only one answer, which is 92. Or it came out after, which is the more interesting answer. So I'm going to go with 94. It did not. It did come out in 93. And I kept biting my lip because Lou kept saying 93 during this thing. <laughs> but it did come out in 93. Um, wow. and it, oh, uh, there, you know what? You know, I've got to save your que- uh, answer to this. Um, okay. If you, you can get the second part of this question right. You get the whole thing right. Um, this uh, mage actually came out at a game convention. Did it come out at Origins or did it come out at Gen Con? 50-50. Wait, well, I'm going to say Origins. Damn it, you still got three you can get i'm trying here <laughs> well that's good it's good all right i think i'm just i'm not a trivial person i actually teach this to my 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 sixth grade science class so i think you'll get it oh man so you just gonna embarrass me now when i get it wrong i loved your first guess in 1994 that came out after the adventure module because that would have been cool as fuck I mean, <laughs> that would have been cool <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the dmg coming out you know two years after the monster manual yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> here's the adventure you tell us how the hell we run the system <laughs> you can tell us the rules <laughs> <laughs> all right so my second question third question total uh, the average fighter in AD&D first edition, according to, to the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, can military press about 90 pounds. Let's say that that is the force he can put on his 10-foot pole. If so, what is the weight of the rock that he can move through just like just pry bar kind of action uh, using his 90-pound strength on a 10-foot pole? Is it nearly nine pounds, nearly 450 pounds, nearly 900 pounds, or up to but not more than 90 pounds? Uh, it totally depends on where you put the fulcrum. That is true. Let's say the fulcrum is as close to the end as possible. It's got it on a little pebble that's... Well, if it's, as close, if it's as close as possible, then it's infinite. Infinite. Because you're taking you're taking 10 foot minus zero and you're dividing it by zero and that gives you an infinite lever arm. Mm. Uh, if you put it a foot away, so now you got nine to nine to one. Now you're up around the, you're getting close to your 900 pound answer, which I think is what you're going for. Uh, he, he busted the questionnaire, man. I blew my <laughs> mind. Infinite power. If you can get it right under the edge. Yeah. All right. Nice. That's the 900 was what we we're going for. 
All right. All 100 right. pound rock with a 10 foot pull. Just the average guy. Just the average guy. Almost a half ton. I am now. I am now up to sixth grade. I'm feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, here goes Bill. So it's totally out of the ballpark because I, I found this interesting and something I heard today. Um, and I knew this, but I didn't. Uh, in Greek mythology, there are muses. Yep. How many are there? Seven, nine, or eleven? Wow. Seven, nine, or eleven muses. So let's see. We have um, memory. We've got music. I think we've got. I have no idea. I'm never going to name them. They, they show up in crosswords fairly frequently. <laughs> um, seven, nine, or eleven, which sounds good. The seven muses, the nine muses, the eleven. Nine. Yes. I was gonna, I was gonna mess with you and say, what are the names of the nine? <laughs> Watch you struggle for a minute. But no, sleepy, dopey, doc. <laughs> there, there are, there are nine, and no, I cannot name them either. Sorry, John. So there's this, uh, this like really cool hotel in Southern Indiana that I cannot suddenly remember the name of. Like back the nine muses. Area. What's that? It's called the nine muses. <laughs> well, what? It, it's got this gigantic like like atrium that the the, the hotel. What is it called? West Baden. West, uh, what? Is it? West Maiden? Uh, West Baden. West Baden? I don't know. My daughter thinks West Baden. Anyhow. She's that, right. That was Regina, she's, folks. Anyhow. She's definitely right. So it's it's got this giant <laughs> glass, uh, like, circular, I don't know what you call it, atrium or something that, that separates the different wings of the hotel. And along the edge of it, it has all the nine muses. Or, yeah, nine muses. So, anyhow, that's how I knew it was nine. You folks didn't see it, but I had my fingers up behind my back. You did. But anyhow. He was there. We just recently went there. All right, wait, last question. Wait. Yeah, so we got two. No, wait. I already no, lost. You got one. You already bring lost. It bring, it bring, bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. All right. Yeah, well, we, we gotta see. We, we gotta see though. Maybe you can get you know at least two out of the five. Um. So for my last one, Gorag the Orc Warlord wants to put a pendulum trap in the entrance to his lair. He wants to increase the speed and therefore the deadliness of the trap, meaning that it's more likely to order cord. Yeah, shorter, and he didn't need it. I, I think that's a bonus. He didn't even need the the, the multiple choices. <laughs> but I, I think he gets it on bonus. <laughs> I'm gonna disagree with the conclusion that it's deadlier because it's it's the the period decreases, the frequency goes up, but its maximum velocity is going to be less, and so its momentum is going to be less. Like a longer cord means it's going to fall. Oh shit, maybe that's not true. And say they fall at the same rates. I know that uh, they fall at the same rate, but but they have a different horizontal velocity. I think when they when they cross the. I, I remember that there was the in what I was reading there was a as difference as the between the speed of the pendulum versus yep. the maybe frequency vo- or, no not the velocity or the, or the velocity. Uh, what was it? Um, I mean, there is a difference because uh, the the pendulum as it's at the bottom. It has no vertical speed. It's all horizontal, right? Because it's and then it transforms back, back up, up to potential. But um, so its kinetic energy is is uh, based on velocity squared, one half mv squared. So if it drops from the same, yeah. So if the potential energy. If you're listening to Edwin right now, he is proving he has geek credit. There's there's no right. greater proof. No divulging <laughs> math uh, problems on the air. I feel like there's a little bit of a, a break here because it depends. It depends what else you change mm-hmm. when you change the length of the cord. So I know that it, 
from from what I was reading, it does doesn't matter if you change the pendulum. The the, the heavier, lighter pendulums all fall at the same rate of speed. Um, but then, like you said, like their their kinetic force should be different between a shorter cord and longer cord because it changes the distance the force is moving, but not the speed. So maybe not. I don't know. Well, so I think I think I think what what matters is if you have a short cord and you lift it up two feet and then let it go. And then you have a there long was something cord about and you lift that. it up. There was something that said it had to get over an arc of 30 degrees before before all these rules applied. That if you had something less than a 30 degree so arc. Now you're going from a, the small deflection assumptions to the large deflection assumptions, which does change things. <laughs> but what I was getting at is if you have a 20 foot cord, you can lift it up. Well, you could lift it up 20 feet. Whereas if you have a five foot cord, you can only lift it up five feet. And so it depends when you say they're the same, are you lifting it up to the same height or are you lifting it up to the same relative height? And obviously mm -hmm. coming from 20 feet is going to be worse than coming from five feet. That's for sure. But it's true that a short cord is going to go back and forth more quickly because it has, because that's how, how that For works. Whereas a, yeah, the period is going to change. And if it's going the same distance and it takes less time, obviously it's going faster, more deadly. There you go. Uh, cord. Borag, the orc warlord. Yep. Borag, make it shorter. <laughs> make it shorter. <laughs> All right. I think that's a show, guys. Um, oh my oh, gosh. We're going to so. decide what to do with poor John here. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I feel like. Even though the questions didn't hit tonight, the uh, the, the explanation of the final questionnaire especially uh, proves that that Edwin is truly, fully, and utmostly a geek. <laughs> There's no denying it. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm, I'm just not trivial. That's just the simple <laughs> fact. He's not a trivial he, geek. <laughs> honestly, I think the simple fact that he picked this adventure for us to review—that's <laughs> all we need to know. <laughs> Uh, and by the way, I, I got my muse question, by the way, because I, I flew down to Florida today. So for all you Bill Travel watchers, um, watched, uh, put the pin in Florida now. I've got yeah, the app. Florida, so Where's Bill? Um, the new Indiana Jones movie was, is you know, I, I fly Delta. So we have the, the movie screens and all that. So I watched, I was watching that and they reference it in that movie, which is probably the only interesting thing in the entire. Oh, movie. really? See man, it's I cannot get a reading yeah. on that movie. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I'm going to see it. Like trust their judgment. On a flight sometime coming up. The first, the first 15 minutes feel like Indiana Jones, really do. Um, it's got the vibe, it's got the, the setting, all that. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. It really mm -hmm. is. You, you're like, oh, this is great. It's, it's Indy's back, right? You know, and and then it transports. It, it starts off in during World War II, so it's not a spoiler. And then the movie shifts to. Indies, eighty years old now. It's nineteen sixty four or whatever. Uh -huh. um, we're landing guys on the moon, and he's old. Harrison Ford's old as shit now, and um, <laughs> and it just, it just. The, the, I, the, I the haven't watched the last half hour of it because we landed too quick. It's a long movie. It should not be that long. First of all, Indiana Jones movies traditionally are not terribly long. Uh, it just feels <laughs> slow and. <laughs> Bummer. It just doesn't yeah. feel like Indiana Jones. I don't know what I'll say. Right. First, it, minutes, so, you feel like the most there. important question, though, is: Is it better than Crystal Skull? Yes, I haven't seen it though. <laughs> I know, right? That's what you want to say. I, 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 dude, I don't know. I don't. I mean, wow. Really? 
it's, it's, it's really a, I don't not, know versus Crystal Skull. That, it's that's not scary. Good. It's You're just, getting all the email. The, I am. The first 15 well, minutes. What's your Florida address? Can you give that online? The, the first 15 minutes. You're good. You're good. After that, all right, go to sleep. Uh, after oh, that. it just gets. It gets. Oh, I don't know. It's just. I don't know. It, no, the whole premise is dumb. I mean, it's honestly the worst. <laughs> -uh. say it ain't so. Yeah. All right. Well, on that on that note, folks, uh, if you're going to yeah, game hole, uh, the three of us are there somewhere. Find us. Come look us up. Chat with you. Write oh, us yes. with your questions, yeah. comments, dungeon traps for good old uh, Garen. And uh, until November. Um, have an awesome Halloween. Yes. Good one. Good night, guys. Good night. You have been listening to This Whole Dungeon, a podcast about reviewing and renovating great adventures and rule sets from throughout the annals of gaming. The views expressed by the hosts are simply that, and shouldn't be taken with any serious amount of gravity. This program is copyright 2023. Happy gaming!